Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the October 6, 2015 edition, bringing home all the new global development goals just enacted by the UN General Assembly is the Orange County UN chapter. That's chapter organizers Karl Maritz, Haley Stoller, and Armando Robles. They'll be speaking today about the upcoming forum on October 24th in which locals may participate. Over the second segment, two team OC decathletes, Clayton Hurd and Sarah Wenus, will momentarily put down their tools for a Solar Decathlon 2015 exclusive about their home, Casa del Sol. We'll be right back with the first group after a short station break. Welcome back to the show. My guests for this first segment are Haley Stoller and Armando Robles, the young professionals at the UNAOC chapter, and OC veteran activist Karl Maritz. Haley Stoller, an advocate for the local implementation of international human rights norms and for social justice, earned her dual bachelor's degrees in Spanish literature and anthropology from the University of California, Santa Cruz, and her master's degree in international relations and public policy from the University of California, San Diego School of Global Policy and Strategy. Armando Robles is a senior completing his undergrad studies in political science at Cal State Fullerton. He was a founding member of the quickly growing Generation United Nations Campus Chapter tasked by the UNA to increase awareness and interest of UN goals to students. He is an award-winning delegate, congratulations, from the International Model United Nations New York Conference last spring with sights on eventually taking this work to a career to the UN General Assembly. Carl Martz graduated at the University of Missouri with a Bachelor's of Science in Chemical Engineering. He is, his is a 50-year career with Phillips Petroleum, Shell Oil, and the last nearly 40 years with Floor Corporation as a process engineer and later as a consultant in their engineering construction field. His employee has taken him to Japan, Abu Dhabi, Canada, South Africa, and the Netherlands. When Carl's not anchoring one grassroots undertaking, he's in pursuit of the next local to international issue frustrating, and as many veterans activists in Orange County are wont to do. He ran unsuccessfully for the then 70th District State Assembly seat in 2004. Carl appeared on Ask a Leader two years ago to talk about the Great Park. So I'm welcoming back Carl and welcoming Haley and Armando to Ask a Leader. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. First, let's have you tell us about the UNA, that's the United Nations Association chapter work, and it's, it's your relationship to the mothership, the UN based in New York. We are one of uh, over 100 chapters of the United Nations Association, and uh, our charter is to support the vital work of the United Nations. Uh, a lot of people don't know what the United Nations does, unfortunately, in this country. So our primary uh, purpose is to advocate uh, for the United Nations and especially to educate the American public on the important work that the United Nations does. And uh, one of the most important things that the United Nations has done uh, in the immediate past is to facilitate the Millennium Development Goals which uh, lasted from 2000 to 2015 and has now been replaced by the global goals 
uh, which will last from 2000, the end of 2015 uh, to the year 2030. And it will build on the work that the Millennium Development Goals started. The difference between the Millennium Development Goals and the, uh, the uh, Global Goals is that the Millennium Development Goals were for developing countries. The Global Goals will apply to all countries. And this is the big difference. This is uh, basically the number one thing that right now that the UN is doing. And uh, our chapter, of course, uh, since we're advocating for the United Nations, we have a large program that's uh, going forward to honor the United Nations on its 70th anniversary on October 24th, which is UN Day. That was the day that the UN was officially started, October 24th, 1945. Okay. So let's... Uh then just over a week ago, some leadership really stepped up at the UN from the likes of Pope Francis and other heads of state, including our own president. What did that do for the kinds of messages, the kind of mobilization that you're trying to create here with the, these goals? Hey, who wants to start? Hey, well, I'll, I'll say uh, something, and, I just, and then I'll just say a couple of words. Basically, what this did is it, in, it, it uh, really stressed the importance of sustainability, which is what these global goals are all about. And uh, the number one item in sustainability at the moment probably and was one of Pope, uh, probably one of two of Pope Francis's uh, biggest message is, number one, we have to address climate change, and number two, poverty. We need to make sure that all citizens of the world, all world citizens, are adequately, have an adequate standard of living and a decent life. Haley. Well, thank you. I'd like to share um, a little bit about, you know, the, the popularization of human rights and some of the different mandates of UN agencies. Am I able to introduce our program at this? That's the specific. We're still talking about the general here and what the the UN initiatives, uh, the n UN leadership, what, what sort of heft that brings, the, the profile it brings to the fact that everybody has a piece of the action. Mm -hmm. If I could just yes. touch on something. Armando. One thing that, from my perspective, coming from the Generation United Nations side, where our charge is really to increase the interest for youth, um, I think yes. seeing these big names with media coverage at the UN is a big step towards promoting the goals of the UN, whatever they may be. Right now we're talking about the, the global goals, but just having those big names, Barack Obama, Pope Francis, uh, Netanyahu, you have, you have these big controversial names that are on screen talking about these things at this forum really highlights the fact that this is a global forum where every member of the world is participating and it doesn't matter how large or small a country may think they are or we may think a country is, at the UN, everyone has an equal voice, everyone has equal participation, and that's what, what's really striking and what, for me, is a big takeaway for, for uh, people of my generation, where we see the world sort of primarily through the lens of the United States, and by understanding that there's so much more going on out there, it really opens people's eyes to the opportunities and, and a lot of the, the issues that are going on across the world and just having these leaders take that charge, take that forefront to, to speak on behalf of the world is inspiring uh, for me personally, but I, but I think for a lot of people just to, to know that there's more beyond just the United States happening and that we can get involved. Well, it's interesting you, you say that these leaders are controversial. I think uh, we can all agree they have, cl they have clout, but because of the, in the sort of aftermath of everybody looking at the Rorschach drawing, 
their Rorschach drawing of of Pope Francis, that it there is controversy because one Rorschach drawing is being interpreted totally differently from another person's depending on their agenda. So it's a projection that's created the controversy with the clout that all of these leaders have brought to that forum. That That's exactly right. And just having the ability for Again, just that equal opportunity to speak where, you know, it doesn't matter what you may think of this individual. They have the same right as anybody else to speak on these topics and, and to get their time to get their peace. Oh, it's more than right. That I think they were the moment everybody was waiting for and to see how they would make the most of that opportunity. Yeah, I, I guess I'd Haley. like to add one additional thing. I completely agree with your statements, Armando. That was wonderful. Um, and I think the only thing that I'd like to add is... It's important that it happened on U.S. soils in a way, and the, these things are being said by international figures, international um, norms, entrepreneurs, um, activists on U.S. soils, because we do have, unfortunately, within our population, not just you know the younger generation, but also um, other groups, other demographics, there's just less of support for international cooperation at times through the UN and just less popularity. So it's really wonderful to see these statements being made and these figures speaking right here in the U.S. And hopefully it'll just, you know, kick off a new commitment within the United States to sustainable development, to, you know, eradicating poverty, to human rights. Um, So that would be my only addition to what you what you mentioned. Well, Carl's already talked about the goals, how there's a, been a strategic tweaking of the message away from the sustainable sort of packaging and then the broadly speaking, the, the global goals. So I, I guess one thing I want to know is, are there any kinds of time frames so that there is uh, even more of an impetus to see that these ex- expansive goals, that there's some kind of objective that's met at a certain term? Well, one of the things that the uh, global goals are um, stressing is, for example, if you look at the first global goal, which is supposed to be completed by 2030, is end poverty in all forms everywhere. And this is one of the things that uh, is wonderful as a goal, and uh, we will certainly, as, as a world, as the United Nations, try to achieve that. Um, the original Millennium Development Goals did have a similar goal, and it included hunger in that. Hunger is elsewhere in these others. It did not get there, but boy, we came a long way. There are 600 million people now less living in poverty than there were in the year 2000. And that's something that we're going to build on and hopefully get to zero. But we'll try to, we may not get there, but we'll try to get as close as possible. And I, I guess, I, I, how does do these goals as they're being promoted and envisioned that the standard of living increasing takes a hit on sustainability. So there, there's a kind of a paradox. Is, there, is that addressed in the, the goals? Yes. The, uh, the idea was before they were the global goals, they were the sustainable development goals. Uh, they got switched just before the, uh, they were voted on uh, in the General Assembly. And uh, the reason were that uh, these supposedly were, um, what was the word that is generally used? Focus group tested. And because of that, they decided to change it to global goals because it stressed the idea that these goals apply to everybody. Believe it or not, there still is abject poverty here in our own country, as well as in countries like China and Sub-Saharan Africa, India, Somalia, for example. Uh, So it's not just 
aren't it's just not not just the developing countries but it's for everybody and one of the things that you mentioned is yes if you're going to be sustainable there are some uh short not, not our shortcuts but there are some uh compromises that have to be reached the rich just can't keep living richer and richer and using more and more and more of uh our resources for themselves uh so somebody's going to have to actually make some sacrifices and uh, we hope we hope that it'll be the uh, richer countries that will do some sacrificing in the amount of uh, resources that they use. For example, we use an enormous amount of oil here for our transportation system. We probably will have to sacrifice that so other countries in poorer areas of the world will have a chance to improve their transportation systems. Okay. Well, for those of you who've just joined us, my guests for this portion of the show are United Nations Association Orange County Chapter affiliates, that is Carl Morris, Haley Stoller, and Armando Robles here on Ask a Leader at KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine, streaming on the web at around the world at KUCI.org. And they are here in advance of a forum that they will be presenting later this month on October 24th, and it is called A Celebration of the UN's 70th Anniversary, International Human Rights, and Launching of the 2015 aforementioned Global Goals. So you have the Executive Director of the United Nations Association opening as a keynoter in the program, Chris Wadley. And so uh, that's the opening. And also we've got Haley is going to be moderating a panel on human rights. So what will you be talking about, Haley? Thank you. Well, as I was so eager to get into this before, I'm happy to be able to speak about it now. Um, so one of the main areas of advocacy of, of course, the United Nations and also the UN Association is human rights. Um, so we're you know, really happy to be able to invite a few important experts in the area locally uh, to cover different areas of rights. So, you know, First, we're going to be starting with our keynote that is really, she has the legal background, of course, with the United Nations. Um, human rights are based in international framework, the, Uni- the Universal Declaration of Human Rights from um, 1948 and um, the International Bill of Rights that you know include the uh, co- covenant on civil and political rights as well as economic, social, and cultural rights. And there's many other covenants as well, many areas of rights, and it's very expansive. So it's wonderful to have, um, as our keynote speaker, uh, Professor Catherine Sweetser from UCI Law. Um, she is actually also the, um, she works as an associate at a private practice, and she also is the co-director of uh, the UCI School of Law's International Human Rights Clinic. Um, she has a lot of applied experience um, litigating on human rights issues uh, right here in the U.S., so she'll be sharing a lot about, you know, the international framework and local implementation, which is really unique. It's an area that not all lawyers and definitely not all lay people know about. And so it should be really in- interesting and wonderful way to kick off more um, focused areas of action here in Orange County. So then after uh, our keynote, after Kathy Before speaks, you go on. Uh-huh. How much time have you allotted for people to ask questions so they can take their clipboards, fill them out completely, and take the message back to their precinct? Well, for after the keynote, we'll have 20 minutes, which is relatively limited, but we hope to have Catherine with us okay. for the majority of our day. And Good. the event is 9 to 4 p.m., so 
you know, there should be lots of time for discussion. We're having a lunch, so it should be, you know. And we'll get to the lunch particulars when people can get how they get hold of you so they can sign absolutely. up. Absolutely. And there'll be lots of informal time as well. So, um, but particularly regarding the keynote, there will be 20 minutes just okay. to really dig into the issues there. What a great opportunity. Yeah. And Catherine her. has some really interesting things that tie right into the global goals. She's really interested in um, the rights of the homeless, which, of course, we understand homeless individuals obviously are living in poverty. They're obviously living without um, the educational tools that they need. They have lots of things that are, you know, impacting them that tie right into the global goals. So it's actually very interesting how interconnected the whole day's conversation will be. Well, speaking of homeless, uh, we'll, we'll let you go through the whole program, and then I sure. want to get back to that homeless as it translates to what refugee might expand that yes, definition. Absolutely. So on with the program, Haley. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, so the rest of the day we'll we'll just have four panelists, um, and they're just wonderful. We're looking forward to starting the our expert panel um, with a, a talk by uh, Rupsi Berman, who is very she's a diverse professional. She'll be speaking on women's rights. She um, has her MBA, her master's. She's the founder of a local NGO, Hope and Life Foundation. Hope and Life Foundation. Okay. And she that's a, an organization right here in Orange County that works on um, ending domestic violence. It's very multi pronged. It's very I think poised for effectiveness. Um, she'll be speaking also specifically on CEDAW, which is the Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women. It's a UN convention. Um, she is the chair of the Orange County Task Force of um, Cities for CEDAW. So she's working a lot on local implementation of an international covenant to end uh, discrimination against women. Uh, she's going to have a great talk on women's rights. Then we're going to be following that with um, a talk on immigrant and uh, migrant rights, also the right against torture. Um, that will be a talk by Deanna Gulo. And Deanna has, um, she's a licensed social worker. She also holds her master's in Pacific and International Affairs. Um, and she's the director of immigration services at the Catholic Charities of Orange County at this time. So she'll, she has some really interesting experience um, from the mental health community um, doing Assessing individuals that are seeking asylum, for example, for um, whether or not they have experienced torture. And if they have, she's able to process their asylum, um, their right to asylum and their right to freedom from, from torture through the International Covenant Against Torture, which is CAT. So she'll be speaking about that. Um, and she'll be speaking about her work with immigrants here in Orange County, uh, processing their paperwork. Um, doing what she does, many, many details of her program um, experience, you know, promoting and, and preserving immigrant rights. Um, then we'll be following that with something that you'll be very interested in. It's the topic of the moment, um, refugee rights. We'll have uh, Jose Serrano from World Relief Garden Grove. He's the refugee program manager. And um, Jose is going to be speaking to us about a very uh, current event. He'll be speaking to us about the major issue of the Syrian refugees and he'll also speak to us about how this isn't a new issue and how we've been preserving the rights of refugees locally um, for decades but this obviously is a hot topic and it's it's a new we have an influx we have a huge um, crisis to deal with and so Jose will speak to that and lastly um, I actually would like to have Armando speak about this um, last speaker because yeah it's very relevant to him. 
We are sharing mics today, folks. So <laughs> when we get to the pledge drive, I want you to remember the creaking, the uh, the the microphone jockeying because it's uh, we we can use all the community support we can get to to operate this seamlessly. I want all the seams not to even be showing. So Armando's going to take that over. With yes, uh, this this last speaker is actually a professor from Cal State Fullerton, uh, Joshua Yang. Um, he has uh, a PhD for. Uh, in the Department of Health Sciences at our college, and he's going to be talking a lot about global health and sort of the right to health, which I think ties in also directly to the refugee crisis uh, in the sense that these people, you know, they come into different nations and they don't necessarily have the care that they need. Uh, so what kind of policies and what kinds of rights are being uh, developed for them in these in these new countries? You know, it's a, it's a new country where a lot of people don't know the culture, they don't know the language, it's compl- it's a culture shock on top of everything else and they're coming from situations where they might have suffered injuries they might have uh, you know gotten ill on their travels some of the methods that uh, some of these people have to have to go through in order to um, in in order to end up at these countries is just traumatizing and and a horrible experience so we want to make sure that the policies in place for global health and their right to health and their right to be healthy uh, are addressed, and he's going to be talking on that, uh, having had experience working with the UN directly, uh, to see what the policies were then, and sort of what they're becoming now with these new goals in place. Very fine. So, for this forum, then it's going to be on October twenty-four. I think everybody had heard a little something for everyone that will be presented. It's at Chapman University. Our Juros. It's free. It's thank you. Carl points out a very important detail. One of many important details. This is at Chapman University, Arduros Forum, Room 29. I'm certain that it's going to be amply signed. Everybody knows exactly where to head there. Uh, Lunch is free. Folks, they're asking for a little heads up by October 19 to let them know how many are coming for lunch so everybody gets something to eat. So uh, this is um, just a very, very robust forum and addressing the general to the specific, the ongoing to the topical, and what's going on. And I, I want for all three of you to have a moment to say about why, uh, how I think you are so uniquely positioned, especially with the refugee issue, where we're seeing a kind of xenophobic reaction where uh, countries proximate to the distressed areas they're not so proximate. More homogeneous societies are having a hard time dealing with this. And you, as a, a local chapter, are speaking community to community. Folks, you know, let's deal with this xenophobia. Let's understand the need is far greater than the hazard to bringing these and welcoming these refugees in. Armando wants to take that up first. Uh, one thing I just wanted to add as far as the registration goes, there's a there's a link uh, to register at. I don't think it was mentioned, so I just wanted to touch oh, on that before do, we move do. on. It's, uh, it's info at una-oc.org, and that's where the registration can take place if, uh, if people are interested in, in coming. So, uh, yeah, did you, now who wants to talk about this, that the UNA Orange County is in a really... And all, all of the UNA, the UN association chapters all around the country, speaking community to community overseas to reassure those distressed recipients of refugees, it's not what they think it's going to be. No, what had happened is that uh, the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, that his group handles the refugee crisis, there have been as many, well, 36 million refugees 
about a year or two ago, 18 months ago, let's say, Count were that. being handled by the UNHCR. That number has grown in a few years, actually in months, to over 50 million, and it has simply overwhelmed the UNHCR and what they can do. Uh, the UNHCR needs every bit of money that it can get a hold of, and unfortunately it's limited by the budget of the United Nations. So what has happened, and uh, our United Nations Association, we generally tell people to give money to the uh, UNHCR. That's because it's a UN organization. Human, what's it stand for? Un United Nations uh, Commissioner for Human Refu for, oh. uh, for Refugees. Okay. UNHCR, yeah. Okay. Human Commissioner for, for, for Human uh, for Refugees. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, but uh, our chapter president, our, I'm sorry, our uh, United Nations Executive Director, uh, United Nations Association Executive Director signed a letter to President Obama that was uh, endorsed by another, uh, a lot of organizations that help refugees worldwide, and it includes care and uh, organizations like that. I think even Doctors Without Borders was included in that, asking that the United States do more and agree to take in more refugees because this is a very, very serious crisis. It's overwhelming parts of the world, like Europe is, is being forced to accept a whole lot of these refugees, and they should not be asked to do it. That just happens to be that they're closer and that uh, they have richer countries that can afford to bring these refugees in. We uh, historically have taken in refugees from all over the world, Hungary in 1956, Vietnamese after the Vietnamese War, uh, Cubans after uh, Castro took over in Cuba. There's no reason that uh, a war in Syria that unfortunately we had a lot to do with fomenting uh, has, has caused so many refugees to have to flee their country. And again, we still have the refugees left over from the uh, Iraqi uh, invasion and uh, well, that continues. from Somalia. Uh, there are a lot of refugees that are simply refugees from uh, global warming where the lands that they're living on now simply do not are not able to support the population because the land has gone, uh, the, the, they can't grow crops because of lack of rain and drought. Right. So this is these are things that are just happening and that we have to deal with. And Haley would add, I just I that was wonderful, and I yes. I just have a small thing to add. I and at risk of at risk of seeming a little bit cynical, um, because I what I think is you know that we all with the refugee crises that occur over time and which is occurring at this moment there's many individuals that feel innately we have the moral duty they recognize the UN laws we have the um, the you know legal framework so we have the commitments to do this we have the history that shows that we've done this that's still not getting to everyone's heart or mind so I think what the UNA does is you know the Association has chapters like the Orange County chapter that are very active and that allow for an open forum. So we want to hear, we want to have those individuals that are scared of the, you know, economic impact of the refugee crisis. Or the of, cultural. Or I mean, the I'm cultural. Not sure which That's one. huge. Absolutely. Like, what are you going to do to our, our culture as we know it? So, uh, yes. absolutely. And so, I, when, while you talk about that and your involvement in the local chapter, I want for both you, Haley, and for Armando to talk about what it's like as we wrap up this segment, what it's like working along these veteran activists in Orange County. What's the kind of uh, dividend you've been getting to let people know that this intergenerational dance is really something quite special? Okay. I um, just actually recently joined the UNA chapter of Orange County 
And I just find that the wealth of knowledge, the diversity of experience that comes from the board of directors, the older members, is just amazing. At the first meeting that I attended, we had an individual, a woman that was so involved in the very early stages of the UN development. She, I believe, is in her 90s. Um, and then Carl and other individuals that are have that I've been able to interact with just are so welcoming and so excited about the the exchange of knowledge and experience. That is something that I've not seen in m- any company that I've worked with. It's some it's something that I don't see often in organizations. It's a really wonderful collaborative effort, and it will it will lead to great actions like this program and many others. Okay. That's so good to hear. Armando, your experience of this intergenerational working alongside the veteran activists here in Orange County. Well, uh, on behalf of <laughs> anybody trying to graduate with an under undergrad degree, with a bachelor's undergrad degree, uh, trying to move on into a career and potentially post-grad work, the opportunities that this program has just allowed the doors that it has opened up the the networking the people that i've been able to meet with the experiences that they've had is just astounding this is a forum that you don't get into by chance you you sort of have to have the passion to be involved in this so and as we've talked about this is a forum that talks about a variety of issues covering a variety of fields anyone in any field whether it's a science uh, a science major humanities major everything somehow touches uh, world relief and these global goals. So to get involved into a forum where people have to have the passion to get involved, you're, you're entering a network where people are already willing to help. That's the nature of the organization. And by just showing that initiative, you are greeted, as Haley mentioned, sort of with open arms with people that are going to help you, that are going to take you under their wing. And if they see that you are showing that initiative, that you have that goal in mind, there's no limit to the type of help that can be received uh, as a young person trying to continue in this career and continue on this path, the the opportunities, like I mentioned, are just priceless. Well, folks, you know how you can get started with benefiting from these kinds of dividends that on October 24th, the Chapman University Argyros Forum, Room 29, it's the UN Association, Orange County Chapter, presenting a celebration of the UN 70th anniversary, International Human Rights. I want to thank Haley Stoller, Armando Robles, and Carl Martz for being on today's show, bringing that chapter's activities and this upcoming program to us today on Ask a Leader. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk to the public. Thanks for keeping it up and giving us a place to give people a chance to Learn and activate. Okay, folks, we'll be right back after a short station break. I'm going to be queuing up those OC decathletes here in just a moment. Be right back. Don't go away. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. That was Captain Planet with the Quetzal offering. Welcome back to the show. We are now in the full swing of the Orange County uh, presentation of the Decathlon, Solar Decathlon 2015. My next guest covering that are Sarah Wanis and Clayton Hurd, part of the Team OC 100 Strong, who are competing as we speak 
with 13 other teams in the Solar Decathlon 2015 here in Irvine at the Great Park. Clayton is a senior and environmental science and policy major and econ minor from Seal Beach. His repertoire includes website development, promotional materials, fundraising, and minor construction, although I bet that role stepped up a bit as the deadline draws near. And Sarah Wannis is a junior in environmental science and policy and an econ major. And also, as uh, she's working in a capacity in the communications work group, she's responsible for marketing and fundraising for the project. And from the the items, the tidbits I've seen online, it's a, you guys have been really doing some very sophisticated numbers. They are a part of the team that is representing UC Irvine, Chapman University, Irvine Valley College, and Saddleback College, all here. A team OC. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Clayton Hurd and Sarah Wanis. Hi there. Thanks for having us on today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, I uh, I was kind of amused. A little di- little digression here. When I learned about a fraternity prank about having a guy wear a tool belt around the clock for maybe a week, tasked to do sundry chores, uh, that's that. But for you, it's not a prank. You are all putting on those tool belts, and I really appreciate your coming to the show. And oh, the elements with which you have to deal—the rain, the <laughs> the uh, heat waves, and all that—that that can um, throw off the construction schedule and uh, diminish the energies of all of the participants. As one of your uh, presenters on the line describes it, it's a nonstop finals week for two straight years. I imagine you're pretty breathless right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a quite a long process, and it's I, I can't believe that it's finally here, but I'm so excited to you know show everyone what we've got. Well, disassembling and then reassembling in earnest, that was last Monday, September 28th. No wonder some of you are deferring on making your way for, uh, to four-year colleges. Uh, what's, uh, what are the, the last day, the final hours for uh, before they say, stop everything, put down your tools? We've got about two more hours. That's Today it. At noon is the end. Hammers down. So I'm so glad you're here. So let's have a, about a little background on the project. Where did it all start? So the Solar Decathlon itself or Team OC is involved? Team OC is all we care about right now. <laughs> yeah, so um, Team Orange County got involved um, this most recent competition. Um, the competition happens every other year. Um, so 2015 is going to be the first year that Team OC is involved. Yes. Um, so Professor Smoller, who is the faculty advisor here at Chapman, um, actually has been very interested in the Florida decathlon for some years now. Um, he was quite pivotal in moving the competition down here to Orange County. Um, so I think it's been a dream of his for a while to get Chapman involved in a team. Indeed. We, I, we were all wanting that down here, at UC Irvine and everybody. So uh, were you researching a little bit what was happening in the, the previous year to get some ideas and uh, what worked and what didn't work? Was that any uh, sort of resource for you guys? Yeah, it most definitely was. Um, actually, my um, freshman year was the year of the competition prior. Um, and for a class with one of our other faculty advisors, it turned out, um, I attended that competition um, and I remember going back through all the handouts that I received in that competition just to kind of get some background when we were moving into our um, project. Anything you want to add to that, Clayton? No, I mean, it was definitely just looking to see what was successful, what people liked and what the judges liked, and then seeing how we could implement that with our own Orange County flair or with whatever style that we thought we could bring to the competition. 
So, folks, we've got, they are, you can hear the wavy thing. That's to add texture here to the uh, on-the-scene kind of contribution they're making as they're breathlessly finishing off within two hours of their deadline. So it's, a, it's very immediate, and I'm glad that we're all making this work today. So uh, how are, there, there's 100 of you. How did you organize with getting everybody assigned with all the projects? And you probably found out there's even more projects that keep at getting added to this. How did you organize all that? Yeah, so it's been a process, um, but the way we organize ourselves is our main project manager, um, Alex McDonald, um, is from UCI, um, and he's the head of the project. Um, and then below that, all of the competitions have been divided between the schools on our team. So, for example, UCI has been in charge of engineering and whatnot, um, while Tavin has been in charge of marketing and communications, um, Irvine Valley College has been in charge of construction um, management and safety, et cetera. Okay. So, although you, you all have a bit of a home court advantage, your crew, though, is younger than the competition. So, how's that going to work in the mix? You're, you're nearest, but you're the youngest. Yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting um, approach for us because a lot of us have never built a house before. None of us have installed electrical systems, whereas some of the other students, maybe graduate students, or already have PhDs, so they have a lot of experience in the field already, but for us, it's really our first time, even with these four schools, it's our first time in these competitions where some of these other schools, this is their third or fourth time in this competition. So I think it's really providing a hands-on um, approach for a lot of the students at UCI and Chapman and Saddleback and IDC that they haven't gotten in the real world yet, and I think that's really interesting for our team. Wow. Well, for those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Sarah Wannis and Clayton Hurd, Team OC designers and builders of the Poppy-inspired solar home in the thick, the very thickest of competition at the Solar Decathlon 2015 here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at construction sites all over the world at KUCI.org. So I, I think it's really key. I'm, I'm sort of... Uh, led here a little bit with the, the design scheme. So let's give give you a chance to lead us on an audio walk through this Poppy-inspired solar home. It's got so many leading-edge design uh, details. Yeah, of course. Um, so like you mentioned, the Casa del Sol is designed with concepts of biomimicry of the California poppy. Um, so what biomimicry means is that it doesn't mean that the house looks like a poppy per se, but it means that we took the aspects of the California poppy, um, the California state flower, then make it so successful in California. And we tried to employ some of those engineering and design aspects into our home to make our home just as successful as the poppy. Um, one of those aspects is drought resilience, um, which the poppy does very well at, um, as you can see by its years that it's lasted in California. Um, so we really took that drought resilience um, into account when we were designing our home. Some of the, the leading technologies that we have in that field are we have a drip irrigation system that um, waters roots the plants directly, so you lose less water to evaporation. We also have state-of-the-art um, uh, gray water recycling technologies. So, for example, like waters in like the toilets and whatnot won't be um, using fresh water, wasting that precious water supply that we have here in Southern California. Um, another concept of biomimicry that we employed was um, the fact that a golden poppy can open and close to the sun so that it can use the sun's energy as necessary, but it can also close to protect itself um, if that's required. Um, Casa del Sol is similar to that because we have a halo structure um, over our outdoor patio, which can be opened or closed to the sun to take advantage of Southern California's really wonderful weather um, and 
split in all that natural light, or it can be closed in the event of rain, such as the El Nino event that we're having now, or harsh sun. And unlike a poppy, your house is tasked with starting up a a net zero, not a net zero, but starting a hybrid car, an electric car. (laughs) Yes, very true. um, That's a great design. That's the leading edge. I think on your YouTube video track, you're saying this is like the first ever house that can start the car off the solar panels. Yeah, most definitely. Being able to charge a solar-powered car was a new aspect of the competition this round, and it was a challenge, but it was a very positive challenge because that's really where the future is leading, and if your home can't um, charge a solar solar car, um, it can't really be net zero in the direction that we're heading here. And if I if I could add to that, yes, please, um, I believe one of our houses will be the only one in the competition that has a bidirectional inverter that can take DC power directly from the solar panels to charge our electric vehicles. So how long is that going to take? I was wondering when I saw that demonstration online. To how, how much? Uh, I mean, let's say somebody's visiting you at that house and they 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 need to get back home again. I mean, well, they're going to visit you in the daytime when the solar panels are at their most active. But how how realistic is that? Well, it all kind of depends on the efficiency of every car. So every car is very different. Yes. We specifically chose our car on the type of energy that we thought we would be producing during okay. the competition. Okay. Well, so there are many parts of the competition. I know from uh, the past there are how net zero are you, that functionality, and then you're going to be presenting dinner to the other competitors uh, as your guests and there's movie night and all those things are sort of add up to the tally of the points scored for the the eventual winner is there something you want to talk about uh, how that was going to work um so speaking to the dinner and the home life competition um it's meant to show that Casa del Sol really is a comfortable home to live in um and to display that comfortability in the home and to show that, like, it's a fully functional home. Um, it's not just a display room. You can have people over. You can host a dinner party um, just like you would in your home. So I remember from the Solar Decathlon 2013, I, we were all asking about what would each of these units cost. Do you have a general costing out of this particular home? Yeah, so the Florida Decathlon does like to keep the houses around $250,000, so that is one of the competitions is affordability. Yes. Um, however, our house, because we met a lot of the regulations, for, specifically for Irvine and for California as a whole, um, like our home is earthquake-proof and it meets all the safety regulations for the city. Um, so to meet those standards, we had to use steel framing in our house that did uh, increase the price of our house a little bit. So it's between 250000 and 400000 that's a big range, <laughs> so yeah. it depends. And is your unit going to go to any particular uh, client afterward? What What's going to happen to this unit? Yeah, so um, the decision hasn't been completely made just yet, but it's looking at this point like it's going to be moved to UCI after the competition and be used as a public exhibit there so that people can continue to tour the home and continue to learn about the sustainable technology that we have on display there. Okay. Well, I know that from also 2013 that it's the the best. I mean, it's the best petting zoo for my money. And if I had to pay a lot of money, it would still be the best petting zoo. Is is that you are all going to sh- give us about a 20 minute tour of each of the units, including yours? So uh, you all of you are tasked to do that. So you'll be leading people not through the audio tour we're getting now, but people can actually. I don't know if they can sit down on anything, but they can walk through. And you'll be uh, pulling all the levers and operating some of those 
kinds of aspects of it so people can see how it works in the tours? Yeah, so, I mean, we definitely want to show um, the people coming to our houses that this is a fully functional house. This isn't some crazy far-off dream. This is a house that was created for today. Um, however, we are, because we're so monitored for a lot of these competitions, like for energy balance, we don't want to be opening our refrigerator and our freezer to let that energy out. We don't want to be flushing all the toilets because we're restricted on our water use. So we really want to conserve as much energy as we can um, by maybe not flipping all of the switches, but we do want them to feel comfortable in our home like this is an actual home that they might be visiting. That's right. There's an audit. I forgot about that part. So yeah. you, you can't... Yeah, they're watching our every move. <laughs> so you do... There is a point, though, when you have to operate that for us. Now, who, which kind of a... Tell us about the panel. I don't think I know a thing about them that's going to be part of the auditing and the, the judging and uh, the totaling up of your your earned points. Yeah, so each of the jury competitions has their own specialized jury of, of a team that specializes in that area, like the communications. There are a lot of journalists in that group compared to the architecture contest or a lot of famous architects um, throughout the country, not just Southern California. Okay. So a multidisciplinary, non-affiliated group of professionals that will take a look at that. For those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Sarah Wanis and Clayton Hurd. They are the spokespeople for Team OC, the solar home designers and builders uh, for the, the Orange County competition entrance for the Solar Decathlon 2015. And I hasten to say that doors open for visitors on Thursday at 11 a.m. and goes for till Sunday. And that's from 11 to 7, those four days, and the same schedule for the following week from Thursday through Sunday, 7 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. I mentioned it last week when I talked to Craig Reams, City of, Rep- of Irvine, uh, spokesperson representing the, the municipal authority there, that uh, I thought four hours is a minimum amount of time to allot for this visit, and that's for your first visit. I don't know how long people are going to take for their uh, repeat returns to the, the place, but I just want to give everybody a chance to to know those particulars. So how can listeners follow your project? Yeah, so we do have um, some social media up and our website up. So our website URL is teamoc2015.com. Um, and there you'll find links to all of our social media. You'll find some of the videos that we have and some of the fly-throughs of the home before it has been complete. Um, we'll also keep that up to date with our um, press releases and any um, coverage in the media. If you wanted to follow us straight on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook at Team OCSD. Again, that's at Team OCSD, where we'll also be keeping all those current with all the latest happenings in the competition. Well, so you've learned a lot in this two-year final that you've been taking. I guess I'll just broadside you a little bit with what is the what are some of the most important things you got out of this besides that you know you're going to have the most incredible resumes after this involvement but may, just maybe some not so obvious things that you you are able to learn from this or maybe the in the last hour and 45 minutes there'll be some new things you'll add to that list yeah of course for myself i'd say that some of the most important things that i've learned um through this competition um a lot about management um and working with a large group of people it's large uh, we mentioned before Sorry, what was that? Yes, indeed. A hundred people. That's a large group. Yeah. As we mentioned before, we work between four schools. Um, so getting everyone together on the same page. 
um, was at times difficult, but overall rewarding because we got to use the brain power of so many individuals through that process. Um, I'd also say that I learned a lot just from getting to push to effect everything that I learned in the classroom in actual into actual effects. So anything about marketing or anything that I or communication that I learned in the classroom that might have seemed a little bit of ab, a little bit abstract, it was really amazing to see put into actual effect and how things actually play out in real time. Okay, Clayton, what have you learned? What yeah, kind of similarly um, applying what I've learned in the classroom as an environmental science major. You learn, you know, solar panels are going to be the answer to everything and all these um, ways to increase efficiency. So great to learn about those in a textbook, but then to actually go to a house and install these solar panels and see these technologies in action working, and then being able to explain them to the public, I think that's really just been the most beneficial thing for me. Okay, and so not only your your learning experience, but with the faculty that have been giving some advisory capacities and all that, were they uh, useful, but not, did they did they get out of your way and let you take it over, or how, how did that dance work out as we wrap up this interview? Oh, most definitely. They've always been there to have our back if we needed advice or whatnot, um, but all of the work really has been initiative of students. Um, we've been pushing the bill um, from the beginning. Oh, that's great. Well, I know you've got so many things that are going on. When are you guys getting back to this project? So uh, I'll, I'll turn you loose. I want to thank Clayton and Sarah for taking this time, which was at a real premium to talk with us today. Good luck, Sarah and Clayton. Of course. Thank you so much for having us on today. I hope to see you out at the competition soon. Amen. Clayton, take All care. Right, bye. Good luck, everybody. Feels like home to me. Feels like home to me. Feels like home. Those were the spokespersons for the Orange County OC team of the Solar Decathlon 2015 busy at it. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. That I want to just mention that there is a next next Tuesday Cousins Club of Orange County Kang Tron will focus on the revolution of Syrian Kurdistan and the refugee crisis. He will be presenting his material at the the monthly or quarterly Cousins Club of Orange County meeting. Their address is at 15500 San Canyon Avenue in the same parking lot as the Irvine Ranch Water District. That's on October 20 at 7.30 p.m. Well, this was my wrap. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. But I'm all right Cause I have you here with me And I can almost see Through the dark there's light